Hello and welcome to Adventures in Venueland, an EAMC podcast. This is your all-access pass to go backstage and behind the scenes with some of the brightest minds that cross the scope of the live entertainment industry. I'm Dave Rettelberger. And I'm Paul Hooper. We'll introduce you to some of our favorite people as we dive deep into the world of live touring shows and the venues that host them. Our adventure today takes us to Los Angeles, where our guest, originally from Oklahoma City, is a music photographer based in L.A., uh, specializing in tour content creation. She's toured for the last seven years with artists in the alt-rock pop categories, everything from small clubs to stadium, photo, video, social content, uh, really focused on growing artists' visual presence on and off the road. So kind of a, a different kind of adventure that I'm excited to hear about. Uh, Anna Lee, welcome to the broadcast. Yes, thank you for having me. So you are kind of self-known, uh, at least on uh, on your website, as the girl with blue hair. <laughs> True. Yes, it's uh, something I've carried on uh, almost since the beginning of touring. So just a helpful identifier at this point. <laughs> so now do you feel obligated? Do you feel like, you know, I know like an artist sometimes feels like they can't change their look up in the middle of a uh, a tour. Do you feel obligated to keep the blue hair because it's such a, a part of your uh, your identity on the road? <laughs> uh, no, I think if I get tired of it, I'll, uh, you know, just change the wording on the website. But um, I have found funny enough that it's, it, it's actually very um, functional on tour, um, because I deal with a lot of people that, you know, meeting for the first time, and especially in like a dark room and security and things like that. And it's an easy way for people to remember that, like, I've been through you know, been through the access points before. And um, so it's funny. That's something I've discovered a way that it comes in handy. So many of us on the arena side are just, you know, so locked into cameras, right? So we see anybody with a camera anywhere that we're not escorting somewhere and we kind of got an eye out for trouble. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure you've been approached by more than a few venue folks to say, hey, who are you and what are you doing here over the time? And so uh, it has to be quite a different to see it from, from your side of things. Yeah, yeah. And it's, you know, everybody's there to do a job and we're very thankful for the security and all the help that they provide. But it's, it's really great to kind of like establish those connections and put a face to the job when you first arrive. So in that way, blue hair helps me. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk 2022 because, you know, here we are, you know, kind of, I know you mentioned it pre, pre, uh, it's recording kind of mentioned it being the second wave. It feels like the 16th wave to me, but <laughs> it's the second wave of you know big big impact. Tell me tell me where you're at today and kind of how things are are going for you. Yeah, well, I guess second wave in that like things were fully planned and booked to go ahead and are now being canceled like across the board. Um, whereas previously things just weren't being planned at all, just out of caution. So yeah, where I'm at right now is kind of just waiting to see how everything shakes <laughs> out. Um, you know like many other of my touring peers and colleagues and friends, uh, we had plans for the spring and now everything is kind of like getting not fully canceled mostly, but kind of postponed indefinitely. And um, at this point we're, we're better at kind of just like rolling with the punches and the disappointments and just kind of like, you know, we're more agile and more flexible than maybe we were in 2020 and understanding of the situation. Cause what are you going to do? <laughs> 
Yeah, I, I think that was one of the things I was going to ask is, do you feel like you're in a much better place than you were two years ago, just because so much of that caught everyone off guard and then no one knew what the worst case scenario could look like. And I think we all kind of know what that looks like now. So I think it hopefully instills a little bit more comfort and flexibility, knowing that, you know, there will be an end and, you know, you just have to kind of stay flexible and ride out, you know, the wave. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it kind of hits on a personal level, right? So it's like, you don't really know logistically what's going to happen, but just mentally and personally, you, you know, that this whole thing has ups and downs. It's a roller coaster. So you kind of just have to like ride it out till it, um, we start gaining traction again. And yeah, like you said, we've, we have seen the best and the worst of it. So we kind of, we know what to expect. It's not ideal, but at least I think there's just a lot to be said for knowing how to deal with it when it happens. Anna, walk me through what the past, you know, two years have been like for you, you know, from that time when everything's firing on all cylinders and you're there to kind of, you know, this scary moment where as a photojournalist of, of live events, those events disappear and kind of how you, how you made your way through this pandemic. Yeah. I mean, it's been nothing if not very interesting. So um, I had a unique perspective on the beginning of all of this unfolding because I was in the middle of like a tour in Eastern Europe when like the official, I mean, who knows when it all kind of started really unfolding in, in what countries, but there was definitely like the marked day in the U S is, you know, mid March when everything kind of officially was being reined in and like shut down. So um, that was very, it was just bizarre um, because you know, at the time it kind of felt a bit like overkill and it felt like a little dramatic, um, (laughs) the measures that were being taken, you know, obviously in hindsight, it's like, we didn't leave soon enough. (laughs) Um, But yeah, so I was on tour with ex-ambassadors and it was just a full on um, international tour. And we were lucky in that we almost made it to the end. We got to hit all of our cities and our countries. Uh, I think we lost a week off the end in Eastern Europe. So just to be sitting in an airport in Lithuania on like March 13th to go home, like kind of people were wearing masks and we're all just like, do, should we, do we need to like, yeah, I guess we probably should, but like also what's happening, how long it's going to be a couple of weeks. So yeah, it was just, it was just bizarre. Um, so that was the beginning of that whole period. So, you know, we go home thinking we're just going to wait this out for a few weeks and see what happens. And then, you know, as we all know, the weeks and months piled on. And then a year later, we're kind of still in the same, the same place. Um, But so through that period, there was so many different paths one could take, especially like freelancers, as far as like, do I try to find a different hustle or like, how do I, how do I fill my time? How do I make this work? And if you're in a the very fortunate and privileged position where you're not like completely strapped for money and just trying to survive. Cause I know that was a situation for a lot of people. You're kind of left trying to figure out what to do with your time. And as a freelance creative contractor, you feel this pressure to like reinvent yourself, I guess, in the context of the, sure. the world as it is now, just not really knowing, like, am I going to have my old thing back. So um, I did a few auxiliary experimental things, just kind of played around with different creative ideas. But 
ultimately I kind of just decided to like take the year off to the degree that I could afford to do so because the burnout was getting real. And I think you just have to really embrace those opportunities for downtime because it's something that as freelance creatives, we are so bad at. So I spent a good amount of time back home in Oklahoma with my family, actually, um, just kind of spending time reconnecting with them and just like really resting. And to that end, it was, it was very productive for me. And then kind of fast forward to mid 2021, when things started picking back up again, I was incredibly fortunate to be able to participate in some of like the first tours that were like able to go back out safely. If you remember, we had that like sweet spot in the middle of summer where it's like, okay, we're most of us are vaccinated now and there's no variants yet. And there was like that window of just like, everything's fine. We're back to normal. Um, (laughs) That was a good day. That was a good day. (laughs) It was a good couple of weeks. (laughs) Um, So yeah, I was on a tour during that time um, with Fits in the Tantrums and those tours rolled right into my fall tour with Walk the Moon, which um, incidentally was the last one that I did. So it was a great like kind of summer, fall, early winter that felt more or less back to normal outside of the new protocols that we had in place. But yeah, so to answer your question, that's my last couple of years. <laughs> yeah, I think it's interesting that you had that perspective of enjoying the space. Like we have some of our previous guests talked about that. Actually, our editor and one of our previous guests, she was a touring violinist that toured with some people. And she kind mm-hmm. of thought the, the same perspective of sort of like, I'm getting burnout a little bit on the road. You know, normally I feel like I wouldn't have some of that space to take the break. And although it's not what I expected or wanted, how can I take advantage of this opportunity? And and I think even people that worked at venues or, you know, other people in the industry often uh, are just so run and gun onto the, the next event, the next event, the next event, that sort of having some of that time to like be at home, whether it's spending time with your family or gardening or whatever it was, hobbies, I think, I know I tried to take advantage of as well, but I do think, you know, hopefully people kind of saw that perspective of this industry as a whole is so, you know, so apt for burning out that I think if we are afforded the time off, whether we want it or not, we should really take full advantage and soak it in. Yeah, absolutely. Like, I mean, if I can, use a very honest word towards that, I would say it can get really toxic if you don't learn how to advocate for yourself. Most people learned a lot about that and about themselves kind of in this downtime, taking that time to reset and realize like, like how hard do I want to go? And like, where can I set some healthy boundaries? And also learning that like (laughs) the world goes on if I'm not able to be on tour and I I was one of those people that's just like, I was addicted to be on on the road, like one tour to another, like pack my calendar as much as possible. And also just kind of feeling the pressure of like to continue to make it in this career. You have to be like on it all the time, just like filling in every gap. So yeah, it was like such a good personal reset and I've totally approached the reopening and like getting back to the careers with a, different mindset about like, you know, actually considering like how I'm taking care of myself with all of that too. So 
yeah, there was a lot to be learned in that space. I'm so glad you brought that up because, yeah, setting those boundaries. I think so many of us hopped on the train and just kept riding it, you know, clinging onto the side, hoping we didn't fall off. And then when that train stopped, it was a great opportunity to reset who we are and how much we want our job to define us and our life and and kind of setting some of those boundaries. And and so uh, here you are, you know, finally, when you get that chance to get back out and shoot shows, what was that feeling like that very first show you got to shoot again with a crowd? Oh, it was, it was just so strange. On one hand, it felt like, you know, nothing had changed and I was just doing this yesterday. And on the other hand, it was incredibly emotional, which is so funny. So the first show I actually got to shoot was a little bit before those tours, even it was like post vaccines, like by a couple of months, but it was like a a college show that I did with, um, a band that I toured with for a long time. They're just like old friends of mine. And so they were actually playing close to where I was back at home. I was just kind of hanging out there. And I was like, oh, I'll just come through and like be at a show. Like this is crazy. And just hang out with like, see some friends and um, kind of went into it with more of like just a casual recreational mindset and was very taken aback by the emotional response that not only I had, but like the guys in the band had and like the, our little tiny crew that we had with us and just people that were very, you know, they've been around the block. They've done this for years and years. It's nothing new to them, but just this, it created this novelty for everyone that we had never really experienced before. And to kind of be there experiencing that all together and with people that I'm so close with, like old tour homies, um, it was incredibly emotional. Um, it was just like a one-off, you know, little fly date for them, but it was cool. It was really special to experience that together. And then because of that, and then also just kind of being like on the very, very first wave of tours that were getting back out, I was witnessing so many different people's first time back. And so that was really, really cool and really special to kind of like get to see people experience that novelty like over and over again and so seeing that from the bands and the artists and the crews you know they quickly kind of got back into the groove of it um but even like well into the fall when I was on tour with Walk the Moon through um September and October most of the people attending those shows it was like their first time to come back to a show so we were seeing it like night after night and I made a point to like talk to Uh, fans that would come to the show and just kind of like gauge where they were at and it's just like over and over again I heard like yeah this is my first show back and just everybody was in tears so emotional (laughs) a lot of people are in tears that walk the moon shows anyway (laughs) because their their fans are so committed um, and it's really special to see but um, it was cool to get to watch that unfold (laughs) really cathartic yeah 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 like satisfying in a way that just feels like, yeah, we've all earned this feeling after the bullshit of the last like year and a half. Yeah. Yeah. I remember my first show shooting because, or back because I, I previously worked at an arena and did all of their house photos as well as Mm. like a theater and this convention center. And then also did some freelancing on the side, nothing touring, but shot for like the regional iHeart station and other stuff. 
And so not only did I lose my job ultimately, but I also, all the live music dried up. So I wasn't shooting any photos. And so I remember my first show back was this like one-off that the local iHeart station did. And it was using the arena, but it was like 25% capacity, mass required, spaced everyone out. So I was going back to the arena that I'd worked at, but no longer working there, but then shooting photos and having this like return to live music photography. And it was kind of like you described really strange and kind of awkward initially. And as soon as I got like in the pit shooting photos, it was so cathartic. Like you mentioned like this, um, I didn't, I don't think I cried, but it was like this emotional, like hug from someone. Yeah. I was like, you're back to this live music and you have your cameras and your, and it was almost this weird, even though we weren't fully back to normal, it just felt like the biggest jump back to normal that I had experienced at any given one time. You know, it was, it was so, I don't know. It's so it, I, I can only imagine seeing that with fans, but you know, I'm, I'm right there with you when it was, you know, shooting a show is just really wild, you know? Yeah. There's that like personal individual experience of emotion, but there's also just this universal, like unprecedented universal solidarity with everyone in the room which we would have had no other reason to ever experience that had we not experienced this entire thing together. So it's like, you just all get in that room together and all that matters is that you're all there and you're back and it's just, it's very cool. Yeah. So you mentioned, you know, being addicted to touring pre-pandemic. So what is it you love so much about being on tour? Because I think that's something that a lot of people listening to this podcast have thought about. Oh, could I go on the road to the band? Would I, would I enjoy that? Would it get old? What, what do you love most about uh, what would cause you to be addicted to touring? Yeah, um, man, it's kind of a tough thing to pin down. And it's, uh, yeah, it's certainly not for everyone. I know people that are thinking about it. And it's funny to have those conversations with people. They're just like, yeah, I'm thinking about maybe trying touring. And I'm just like, well, if you're just thinking about it, like, I don't know if you're not already obsessed with the idea, like, I don't know if you're going to like it. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's kind of funny. Yeah. You, you either love it or you hate it. I feel like, which is also relative to like your experience, right? It's like, you kind of either have to do it all the time to like maintain those opportunities or you just kind of fall out of it. I mean, I'm sure there's, there's a middle ground. I don't know about it, <laughs> if it's there, but um, yeah, anyway, so uh, I guess one kind of perspective I like to take on it for me personally is um, I'm incredibly introverted, not shy, but introverted. And so I'm drawn to situations where I have very close, intimate relationships with a small handful of people and people that I can just like build relationships with over a long term and kind of like go deep with them and have significant experiences together. And that's literally the definition of being on tour. <laughs> um, so I, I do a lot of work locally in LA too, which is fun, but I find that to be incredibly draining sometimes in a different way than touring is. Touring is obviously very physically demanding. It's incredibly taxing like on your body and your mind, but the reward for me is working towards a common goal with a small set of people and doing it every day. And it's kind of like this expedited track to like best friendship. <laughs> and even though it often doesn't 
extend beyond the tour. Like, um, you know, there's certain people that you bond with and you keep in touch with beyond that, which is great. I have so many amazing friendships out of that. But like when you're inside the bubble of the tour and during COVID touring, it's a literal bubble. You only have each other. It's like a fast track to extreme bonding with people and my soul just thrives on that. And so that whole environment compounded with the fact that I'm getting to do what I consider like the most fun job in the world and something that felt like such a a mountain to mount to get there to where I'm doing this consistently. Um, So it's just like extreme gratitude and just like so much fun and this environment of like really special relationships. And I know everybody calls it a family, but that's really the best term for it, you know, in the best case scenario, like assuming that you're like in a really good touring fit with the people that that you work with, which are the people that I tend to work with residually and over the years. Do you kind of parlay certain relationships with certain bands into other ones because you've met them while on tour or you've heard or they what's the uh the code like the Nashville code that we heard Dave but it's something like there's three roles in Nashville and it's like show up be on time and be a good hang or something like that and yeah, it's yeah, yeah. something to, something to that effect but it's basically like once you find a good group of people do you just kind of like parlay that into the next band that you also know is like-minded and good group to kind of avoid any sort of toxic or poisonous touring experiences. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it is um, all connected on that level and just on the level of getting the gigs in the first place. It's such a referral based industry, of course. Um, So yes, they all kind of snowball into each other. And I owe most of my gig connections to that just kind of like overlap of a couple of people that referred me for this or that, or, you know, we're on a tour and one of the other bands on the bill then would take me out at a later time. Um, so yeah, just a lot of overlap in that way, but yeah, I, I can't remember what the handful of tenants are that you mentioned, but it's, it is so much about personality or like being a good hang as you put it, because what's funny and what I realize is that you don't have to be like the absolute best at your craft or in your industry to work in touring. I mean, obviously they want people that are really skilled at what they do um, and really creative, but the more important currency is personality uh, and just like your ability to fit with certain people. And like, you may fit better with one artist than another, but um, because referrals are the main a form of transportation around the touring industry, people are far more likely to pass your name around if they trust you. And if they know that you have a certain level of professionalism and just ability to interact with other people over like, you know, at a certain point, there's just like lateral moves between skill sets. And it's more about how are you going to fit in with the team. So that's been an interesting thing to learn over the years. And something that is like something that I've guarded very preciously is just like my relationships and 
my reputation with other people and just like making sure that no matter what, like I show up for people and like get the work done and just try to be reliable. Let me ask you a, a question. And I, I mean this, you know, to be not, not to be offensive, but for, for 20 years, I went to concerts and there were no pictures, right? I took no pictures, no cameras were allowed in. And maybe there was a photographer there with a tour who was going to end, would end up in a book someday. Now we're in a situation where at a walk the moon show, every single person there has a camera. Mm-hmm. They're all taking pictures. They're all taking high def video. What is the role? What is the need for a great rock photographer these days? Yeah, that's a really interesting thing that I've unpacked myself over the years. Um, and I feel like I've been fortunate to kind of watch the unfolding of what you're what you're referring to because having started doing this about seven or eight years ago, even when I started, it was still not incredibly common or it wasn't like, it wasn't like built into the needs of a tour. So I still kind of had to justify um, and kind of sell how I could contribute. Um, And I think as the need for content became more ubiquitous, like the explosion of social media and specifically Instagram, this had two significant implications for me. And it was that like bands very rapidly realized the need for like a high volume of content. And also that it was easier than ever to like share and discover music photography and the music itself even. Um, And that kind of became a necessity for artists to be able to you know, compete for the attention of, of music listeners. Um, and so just adding in this visual component to fill out the band's presence or like their existence, which is kind of like seems superfluous um, if you like really get into the weeds thinking about it. But um, as, a, as a visual content creator, it's like a really exciting era of getting to participate in the process of like what an artist is and like how they present themselves to other people. But I am so fascinated by the tour photographers or the music. I don't even know if we would call them tour photographers because it wasn't like, like an ongoing gig, you know, decades in the past. Um, I'm so fascinated by that. And I think it's incredibly special what they had just that like, it wasn't built into the needs of the band. So their access was more, more intentional maybe, um, or more because they were capturing like special, really iconic moments and not just there to create like volume for just constant visual output. Like we are now. So obviously the need for it has evolved a lot and I am personally thankful that it has created so many opportunities for visual creators to be a part of that process. But there's something incredibly special about like those periods of time where like, if you were there capturing photos of those moments, it was, yeah, it probably would end up in a book because it was so much more rare. And there was, I think, so much more equity in those individual moments. Yeah. And it's a big question, but that was a great answer. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. You're exactly right. If you go back and look at some of these photos from like a photographer like Jim Marshall or someone who was like in the room with these bands, there's no other photographers around. This person's 
you know, maybe only shooting, they're not necessarily touring. They might shoot like one night at Madison Square Garden for like some big act. And that's like the only photos of in existence of that experience. And you're right, it is, it had to be like intentional. And I think it was so also relationship, you know, because these artists were not as like seeing it as a means to a marketing end and more so just like, I want to invite you in to tell my story and to be vulnerable. And that was rare. You know, a lot of, yeah. no one wanted to show vulnerability. And I think now you're right. It's, it's kind of become a little bit of just like part of the marketing playbook, but it, it was extremely rare back then. And I think, I think now, although they serve, you know, touring photographers maybe serve a little bit of a different role. They're just as important to kind of visually tell that story. And I would say too, that that is probably the big separator from like the fan and the crowd with a really nice camera and the person, you know, in front of the stage is they know what that, know what story that band wants to tell. And to credit you, like if, you know, people go look at your Instagram and look back through your various tours, you know, the quality is kind of universally there, but you do a really good job of, you know, whether it's looking at Walk the Moon and comparing it to your photos of the struts, for instance, mm -hmm. there is a styling there kind of that is woven throughout each of those that I think is, you know, a credit to your ability to kind of pick up on what that band is emoting and what, what kind of vibe they're putting off, what kind of, you know, look they want and, I think, you know, only someone that has that close tight relationship with the band would really be able to reflect that and, and put that out in that form. Oh, yeah. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. It means a lot like that people, you know, for any creative can look at somebody's body of work and kind of like see the through lines and see how it represents those specific artists. It's, that's really what we're aiming to do. So thank you very much. One thing that I definitely want to hit on, just because I think this is something you can, you know, wave a flag in the air that you were, to my knowledge, the first person to do this, is your ALM fan cams, which I think is super fascinating. Um, and I'll let you probably describe it better because I probably will not have the detail that you'd be able to, but basically your you know, inviting fans to reach out to you on social, get to the venue really early, be the first in line with the disposable camera, and then you take that camera. And while you're roaming the venue, backstage with the band, around on stage, kind of getting your normal shots, you have this disposable that you can whip out and get some really unique photos. And a couple things that I find fascinating by that on my side is one, I think, it's a brilliant way to bring the fan along for the ride, but also protect it to some degree. And one, one thing that always comes to mind for me is I remember, I don't, I don't know what year this was. I think it was uh, 2011 or 2012. There was this tour and I think it was My Chemical Romance Blink-182 or something. And I don't remember who all was opening, oh. but I was in the photo pit. There was like three or four other people and My Chemical Romance had given away as a, as a giveaway, like a photo pass to a random fan. And it was kind of this thing they were doing at every show. And so of course, all the photographers were all like, this will be interesting to see how this plays out, right? <laughs> like, you know, this person doesn't have a professional camera. They've never been in a photo pit. Like what, what's gonna happen? 
And unfortunately did not play out all that well because apparently she was like apt to get kind of panic attacks. She was like, she also like when the band came out was so overwhelmed with being so close because she wasn't used to it that she was just like screaming from excitement, was not taking any photos and was just standing in the middle of the pit, which we're all like, oh my God, like this impediment. It was just like worst case scenario, but it was like, I appreciate the band or whoever, you know, maybe My Chemical Romance had nothing to do with it or the thought of it. But, uh, you know, we appreciate the thought, but it's also like, uh, maybe the execution wasn't great. So I think this idea, and I'll let you describe it better, is brilliant because it kind of allows you to bring that fan with you, but also allows you to kind of keep them at arm's length a little bit, you know, like you can kind of still protect what you're putting out. Yeah. I mean, you, yeah, you got it. You got it right. That's exactly how it works. Um, I, when did I start doing this? I want to say it was, oh, 2015 is when I first started doing it and it started on a walk the moon tour, but, um, I'd kind of seen something occurred that gave me the idea to make it into more of like, a like a protocoled project. Um, and I, I think I've seen this a few times before, but like a, a fan will try to get a camera to the band or like you even see it today where like fans during a show on the front row will try to like hand their phone to the singer or whatever. And sometimes they'll take it. Sometimes they'll kind of like play into like the fun of it and just grab it and like take a selfie or like take a video of them on stage singing, which is like, you know, just makes that fans year. Um, so anyway, I saw some version of that kind of happened with the disposable camera a long, long time ago. And I don't know, it just occurred to me as like, I could facilitate this somehow. And so I just, um, at the very beginning, it wasn't really like organized or planned out. I didn't have like instructions online like I do now, but I just posted on Instagram, like, Hey, first one to bring me a disposable camera, um, on show days on this tour, like I'll take it, take it backstage, fill it up and then give it back to you at the end of the show. Um, which is still essentially what it is now. I did it via Twitter so that there was, you know, a timestamp on people's arrival and, you know, had them take a photo so that they could prove that they're actually first at the venue and just little, little logistical things like that. But um, it was so well received, like the band loved it, the fans absolutely loved it. And yeah, it was just like such a fun way to kind of treat them to like this little exclusive access and um, something different than all of the tour content that I'm putting out or that the band is putting out from what I'm creating over the tour. It's like, I don't even know how these photos are turning out. And like, you're the only person that has these. Um, and of course I encourage them to like post them and share. And, you know, if they follow all the directions and they're also emailing them to me at the, at the end, so we can see how it turned out and, you know, we use it for content as well, but yeah, it's just such a fun little, like almost like secret handshake between the band and me and the fan and it's like a wink of like these are yours you know like it's a surprise when you get them developed so it's yeah it's just it's so fun to see their excitement especially like once they you know the the winner of the day like once they get to the venue and like I'm able to confirm like okay you're the first person like your camera wins like I'm taking yours and they're just over the moon so it's really (laughs) I feel privileged to get to create that opportunity for them and like kind of witness the excitement around it. So, uh, yeah, I, I do it on most of the tours that I go on and it's just been, it's been really fun. Been around for over five years now. How do you explain to kids how to develop film? 
<laughs> you know, it's funny. Um, I, it didn't occur to me until recently that I would have to start including instructions on how to do that, which I mean, fortunately, there is kind of like this wave of yeah. curiosity around film and people have like point sure. and sheets that they carry around for fun or disposables or whatever. It's very cool um, still. So most people have an idea, but sometimes, <laughs> you know, they'll they uh, they'll follow up with me and be like, okay, well, I just dropped it off to get developed. It's going to take like a week or two. And <laughs> I'm just like, oh yeah, I guess there's other places around the country where like they literally have to mail it out. I mean, we're spoiled in LA where you can still go get like one hour photo developing or whatever. But um, yeah, I've, I've started to include instructions on like, okay, if you've never developed film before, like <laughs> some websites you can go to, to literally like ship it off if there's nowhere in your town that like develops film. So it's kind of funny. And it's unfortunately incredibly expensive now, just like to, and it, the cameras are getting harder to find. So I hope that they don't completely go away, but yeah, it's oh, yeah. all in all, it probably ends up being about a $30 investment to like buy the camera and get it developed and all that. But so I try to make it worth it. That's still very cool though. What a, what a great idea. I just couldn't, I absolutely Thank love you. it. Is it a weird thing to take some photos and then hand it off to someone and being like, you know, they may just not follow these instructions and I may never see these photos I got. Like, I don't oh. know how much you might like repeat. Like, are you, if you're whatever in a dressing room and you're snapping away, are you taking some with your DSLR and then also some with the disposable? Or are you kind of shooting and then you're like, you have to almost have this like detachment from it. Like, well, that could be really amazing. I may never see it again, but that's part of the whole game, you know? Yeah, that's a great question. And at first I was like, I felt very um, like married to these cameras and like a little protective of them. And I, I used to be better about kind of reinforcing like the, okay, the final step is to email me, you know, the files when you get them developed. And most of the time people will follow through with it. Um, and then, yeah, I just, there, you just have to detach from it a little bit. And anymore, like I, it's, it's not a big deal. Like it's great to get them back just to have this like alternate like version of content that's like film and lo-fi and like not super precious, which is what's really great about it. But yeah, there is a lot of giving up of that control. But um, to also answer your question, I am duplicating some moments on digital and sometimes I'm not, it just depends on what it is. I mean, I'm, I'm capturing everything all the time anyway. So a lot of times it'll be that I took digitals of a moment first and I'm like oh let me also get this on the fan cam and what has been interesting about the fan cam was like um an effect that I didn't necessarily foresee is when when I pull out the disposable to take a photo like my subjects and like the artist and whoever's in the photo immediately just like loosens up that much more they just kind of it's almost like the permission to be silly so they're they're behaving oh, completely funny. differently when I'm taking yeah. a photo with the disposable versus a digital. And that's been like such an interesting side effect of that. And to almost to the point where like, I've taken the disposable photo and I'm like, okay, wait, but do that again for me. Like let, let me get a digital <laughs> you, you of that. hold the disposable up, but then you secretly are like uh, shooting <laughs> from the hip with your other yeah, camera. <laughs> yeah. So it's so funny and it's, it's fun. And I appreciate it because then like the, the fan just gets all kind of like just silly moments and like the bands will take selfies with the camera and they'll just they're just willing to kind of like throw it away more if that makes sense yeah. like throw away the moment yeah. and just like be yeah be fun 
Well, hey, I, it's been awesome talking to you, and I, and I know we got to wrap things up here soon. But before I let you go, I want to talk to you a little bit about two things. Number one, you know how you got started in this business, right? Because you know I know you started as a fan in Oklahoma City, so be, that that journey to actually say instead of not just being someone who likes to go to concerts to take pictures, but to actually make that your your job. And then number two, you know, with that same point, you know, one of the things that I've noticed in this industry over the past couple of years is I'm seeing more and more females in the rock photography business or in the concert photography business. In fact, the other, we had, we had three 21 pilot shows, uh, their hometown band here in, in Ohio. And on the third night, my entire group of photographers was all female. And it was so cool to see. It was the first time I've ever had, because usually it's that, you know, that 53-year-old white guy who's been shooting rock shows forever. And he, he comes to every <laughs> show and he's awesome. He's a great dude, right? But it's great. To see, I'm seeing when the, the younger generation seems to be a lot more uh, uh, femaley predominant than uh, where it's at. So I think there's a message there for people who are wanting to get into the business through hearing about your your journey. Yeah, yeah, it's awesome. And I'm I'm kind of, I'm very honored to be, a representative of what is possible now. Um, and it's interesting, um, the obstacles in that way for me were, um, it was like two different things kind of combined into one that I didn't realize until later on, just because at the beginning, like music photography and especially tour photography felt so inaccessible to me. Um, Oklahoma City it's not a, it's not a big place. And it's certainly at the time, you know, when I was there wasn't a big music market at all. Um, it's growing a lot and it's, it's awesome, but everything was so regional and so local there. And, you know, me and my friends, we we're having a blast, like just being part of like the local music scene. And to me, that kind of felt like the ceiling. Uh, I just had no idea what the options even were. I just, I, I knew so little about the industry beyond like what I knew of my local scene. But yeah, I just, all of my friends were in bands and we went to show like local shows constantly. So I was just combining my enjoyment of photography with that hobby. Um, so just spent a lot of time kind of honing my skills there in that market. Um, and then eventually that kind of branched into me forming relationships with bands that would pass through town um, and just shooting for them and like reaching out for photo passes and just having absolutely no idea like about the protocol around any of that. Just, just this kind of like innocent ignorance, which indirectly like served me well. Um, I know that there's sure. the journalism path. That's like a really common path for people as an access point to music photography. And there's a little bit more, protocol around that. And there's more of a, an established industry there. So sometimes it's easier to get into music photography by following those steps because it, it like makes sense. Um, and I just didn't know <laughs> anything about any of that. So I was like reaching out to bands directly and management. And I was just like, okay, well, this makes sense, right? Because I want to take pictures for these people. So I should ask them directly. And yeah. um, sometimes, you know, sometimes it came through. Sometimes I got yeses and just very, very slowly over time. I mean, it's very slow in those first couple of months and years to build that traction, but just built a few little relationships and maintained them. And to our point that we discussed earlier, that tends to snowball into those 
people kind of like validating you as a professional and being able to refer you. And at the very least, you kind of have uh, the street cred associated with the portfolio sure. of having shot national artists, which was a bit of a feat uh, living in a, a middle, medium-sized Midwestern city. Um, so that on one hand was part one of the obstacle. And then the other part, I suppose, uh, being a woman trying to break into that industry, which I didn't really perceive as an obstacle at the time. I just thought the whole thing was really hard. <laughs> it was just like, oh, sure. just I have no connections. It's sure. like impossible to get in. But I did run into a few situations where an artist specifically explained that they were hesitant to try me out on tour because they felt like it would be weird to have a female traveling with an essentially all male outfit. So I'm glad that that is something that's being overcome at this point where they're not looking at it as an issue. They're looking at it as everyone's a professional and we're here to do a job like that. It's um, the mindset around it is changing not to see the potential I don't know, liability, I guess, is how they were viewing it um, at the time. And so I'm glad that um, I'm glad that we're, as an industry, getting past that mindset and looking at everyone as an equal opportunity professional that wants to serve the outcome of the tour. So, yeah, those are that's kind of like a two part obstacle that was all lumped into one for me at the beginning. And representation matters so much too. you being in that photo pit, you know, when you're touring around with this band and then you have all these super fans that are seeing you up there, you know, that was you, you know, before you started touring. So they're seeing, you know, woman in the photo pit touring with these bands and all of a sudden they think, oh, you know, that could be me. You know, if I have this love for that, you know, that's really, I mean, that that's a big deal too, because I'm sure a lot of people, see themselves in you maybe more than that 65 year old white haired guy that you know is is super nice but is kind of maybe not <laughs> as relatable to the uh teenager that's in in the crowd sure yeah um i've been incredibly just blown away and honored by the conversations i have had with a lot of the the girls and the women that i encounter on tour who say that it does mean a lot to them to see me and uh, other like my female peers doing this job and I think it's been so interesting and I feel fortunate to kind of have watched this unfold over the last uh, close to a decade like it's so much change has happened so quickly in the last several years so kind of seeing that whole thing unfold and like watching the rise of these people that you know maybe early on I had a conversation with them at a concert and then the next time I saw them you know, we're going through a show in Texas. I met them there. And the next time I see them they're you know, they have a photo pass and then the photo pit. And then the next time I see them, they're like, oh, I'm going on tour with the band. So it's really, right. it's really cool to watch those stories unfold. And yeah, I'm grateful to participate. Well, we are uh, grateful to hear about your adventures. I know that you are uh, definitely inspiring some folks listening today. Before we let you go, I want to hit you with our fast five, five quick questions. Just looking for your instant quick response. Okay. Up first, what was your, as a fan, what was your very first concert? Oh, Reliant K. About, <laughs> not an addict. Uh, all right. How about your, your favorite concert you've ever been to? Um, the 20th anniversary show of the Smashing Pumpkins in Chicago in 2008, something like that. 
can't remember the year. It was amazing. It was like right after they'd gotten back together. Um, I'm a super fan. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I was just, I never thought that I would ever get to see them live. So that was a really cool hometown show. If you could go back in time and shoot any one show, so you could shoot any artist, any but one particular show, what is the show that you'd want to shoot? Well, I guess we'll just write off of my previous answer and maybe the uh, the pumpkin show at the Metro, their quote last show before they broke up. How about your bucket list venue to shoot at? Is there a place that like, a, you know, obviously, you know, you've been to stadiums, you've been clubs, but what's a venue you haven't shot at yet that you would love to shoot a show at? Oh, um, I'm not sure. To be honest, I've, I've gotten to shoot at all the ones I've been interested in, in my career. I don't, you know, I'm not sure. <laughs> um, there's probably just like new ones that are being built that are really nice. That's, that's always a good, uh, that's always a dream come true to get to a, a newly built venue somewhere in the Midwest that actually has dressing rooms and outlets of plenty <laughs> and real showers. You're asking a lot. Yeah, I know. Right. It's like, we always joke about like you, there's three things that you need in a venue, a good shower, like desk space and an outlet, and you get to pick two. <laughs> Very nice. I like that. Uh, last question for you. What is the theme song to the TV show about your life? So there's the Anna Lee show where cameras follow you around all the time. What is the song that plays over the opening credits? Oh no, you're asking me be, to be very creative in an area where I'm such a layman. Um, it's funny. So I'm surrounded by music all the time and I work in that industry and I am just, I am so, I'm such a visual person. I don't know. What do you think? Oh, <laughs> turn it back know. around. I mean, then, I, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know. I don't know. I mean, I love the pumpkins. So I think you could go with a Smashing Pumpkins song. Uh, oh, that would be today. Really cool. How about that? Smashing today. Pumpkins today. I'll just, from here on out, I'm labeling myself as the resident Smashing Pumpkins super fan. Have you, so as a follow-up, have you shot a pumpkin show? I never have. And I think I'm okay with that. Like I would, I would take the opportunity if it came along, but there's also something kind of nice about like leaving that separation between something I enjoy as a fan and like something that I've done as a job. Um, yeah. I'm okay with like leaving that that mystery and that magic in place. Well, the magic and mystery is something I love most about rock photography. And if people want to check out, you know, your pictures, you've got some great stuff online. What's the best place for them to see your work? Um, Instagram is the thing that I update most often. Um, so that's just Anna Lee Media. And my website, which is also recently overhauled. And so there's a lot of new stuff on there. Um, AnnaLeeMedia.com. I'm Annalie Media across all platforms, so you can find me there. Well, hopefully you get back on the road and and uh, get uh, busy, as we all hope we do here again yes. uh, in the very near future. But we appreciate you making the time for us today. Really enjoyed talking with you. Thank you. And thanks to everybody for listening to this uh, very cool episode of Adventures in Venue Land. Remember, you can subscribe and find more episodes wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. We'd love your five-star reviews. Helps others find us. And until the next adventure, I'm Dave Rettelberger. And I'm Paul Hooper. Thanks for listening, everyone. Adventures in Venueland is a side project of the Event and Arena Marketing Conference, a nonprofit organization bringing together people in the field of live entertainment to discuss marketing, publicity, and sales trends. 
Find out more at eventarenamarketing.com. Audio editing and mixing by Camille Faulkner. Design and digital advertising by Megan Ebeck. Copywriting and publicity by Samantha Marker. Guest booking and brand strategies by Paul Hooper. Guest research by Dave Rettelberger. Marketing strategies by Paul Hooper, Megan Ebeck, and Samantha Marker. Thanks for joining us. Until the next adventure.